Welcome back to Med Twitter this week. I'm Chris the Chu Manchu, and I got this great tweet from Adam Rodman. He starts off with, where did the god-awful yellow text on blue background default PowerPoint template that was all the rage in med ed for the past decade come from? All, I remember as a med student at Tulane being specifically told to do all my PowerPoints like that. We're going to come back and talk to Adam Rodman after the intro. Welcome back to Med Twitter. I have Dr. Adam Rodman. Hey there, Adam. I, I wish I had a, a catchphrase like Chris the Chew Man Chew, but I got to work on that. I was A-Rod before, the, uh, before his disgrace. Oh, ooh, yeah. That would, well, Dr. A-Rod would be sort of weird, but now you're Adam Rodman with Bedside Rounds. Yeah. <laughs> so, so from this tweet, you actually did a whole thread, and uh, Dr. Poorman, or Dr. Unbert Poorman, she, her tweet was, Bedside Rounds is the kind of magical nerd energy I need in my life. So tell me, can you, can you say, talk a little bit about how you started thinking about this PowerPoint and then your mad rush to, to do this deep dive while you're putting your kid to bed and then running the whole thread afterwards? Yeah. Right. So uh, that's exactly what happened. I, uh, I was sitting at my couch and I just tweeted this out because I was curious where it came from. And then somebody sent me a paper from 1975, an entomology paper. Um, and I was like, what? A paper? about entomology, about blue and yellow slides from 1975. And while my wife is like, Adam, what are you doing on your phone? I start to like pull these papers from the 70s about making slides for academic presentations. And then I spent the next two to three hours just digging deep into the history of making physical slides and then how that all transferred into digital slides in the early days of um, what was called Harvard Graphics. That was like the first big slide presentation program. And uh -huh. then uh, going into Lotus Freelance and PowerPoint. And uh, yeah, also I was getting help from people, I like Brian Carmody sent me a helpful article from the, the early 1980s. And I worked on this just because I was interested for like three hours after my kid went to bed. This is how I spend my free time. So I was like, I should do something productive like this, with this. So I, I wrote a Twitter thread. Oh, it's just absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. So, I mean, this yellow and blue is pretty popular. I mean, I even have it on these types of things. <laughs> Which you edition know? is that? Oh, I have every single one of them. I think this is actually, oh, this is the pocket primary care, which I think is, oh, might be actually the first edition of that version. But I mean, I remember the yellow and blue. I mean, I, I, I used it. I mean, it is pretty garish, so. Oh, it looks terrible. I was, so the reason that I started this, I actually, um, I went to Tulane. So Jeff Weiss uh, still is the internal medicine program director. And he gave all the med students a talk. And literally he told us, like, again, I wish that Jeff was here because uh, he, I feel like I'm attack I'm not attacking him, but he really did tell us this. And he was like, if you do a presentation, it needs to be yellow on blue. That is the way you look professional. And I just naively was like, ah, yes, yellow on blue. I want to look professional. And I never thought about why. And he, and the, the answer is actually pretty interesting. Well, I do remember like when I would code and so I did some QBasic too when I was, when I was younger and there was a lot of MS-DOS, so there was a lot of blue backgrounds on that too, but a lot of it was gray or yellow on blue. Yeah, I, and all that came out of actually really interesting, uh, like, so in the very early days, so we're talking like the early 1980s, teletext was all the rage. So that's basically a commercial television with, uh, with text on it from 
the internet, not the World Wide Web didn't exist, but there, there's like live data through a phone line coming into your TV. And there were really interesting studies about the best way to, to make that data visible. And yellow and blue was not the only combination. There were lots of combinations that were visible, but it was one of them. And it became pretty popular in the early 80s. You talked a little bit about Kodak in your, in your thread. I think, yeah. I, I think it's funny since Kodak's uh, all the rage nowadays for other reasons. Wait, Kodak is all the rage? Why? Well, Kodak, didn't they just score like a big thing with the government so they can make uh, generic medications? Really? Kodak, the, the, the telephone, the, um, the camera company? The phone company? Yeah. I, no way. I could, be, I could be wrong. Now, people can correct me in the comments or in the, in the thread, but I, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll try to find uh, um, some, 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 some resources on that. But I could have sworn I heard like Kodak, they announced that Kodak was going to help with generic medications. I think hydroxychloroquine would be one of them. And like the stock markets like just, just went crazy. So for, oh, well, okay. Well, Kodak needs the help. I mean, they were one of the most dominant innovative com uh, companies in the world for what, like 50, 60 years. So. Right. Right. Same with Xerox. Yeah. Same with Xerox. Um, yeah. So, so Kodak, uh, obviously the, the Kodak carousel was the original slide presenter. And these are, these are actual physical slides. These are 35 right. millimeter Kodachrome slides. And uh, it was released in the 60s, and very quickly people did presentations on the uh, slide projector. But as you can imagine, if you are staring at a slide with a white background or a clear background, you're just staring at a bright light. It's really hard to see. Um, so pretty early on, actually, by the early 1970s, people were uh, literally using watercolors to paint in the back of their Kodak slides or, or highlighters as well. Um, but using the blue developing uh, solution, uh, the Dazio developing solution, by the mid-1970s kind of became standard to make them more visible. And it's something that everybody had on hand. So you're in a position where like by the middle, uh, middle to the late 70s, pretty much everyone was doing these presentations with a blue background, which is pretty cool before my time. So out of all your research, what's, what's your biggest takeaway out of this? Is there anything that you're going to do differently or change from all your research? Oh, no, I, I gave, I, I haven't actually used the blue and yellow. Actually, it makes me appreciate it more. So I'm going to throw some in for fun now. Uh, <laughs> like, no, so ju just your historical slides will be on yellow on blue. Yeah. yeah I think my <laughs> takeaway from it is that in medicine, we, we like to pretend that we're really scientific and we use evidence for things. When in fact, I think doctors are incredibly, we were talking about this before we started recording, but we're incredibly traditional and conservative and like to do things just because they've been done. Um, in, in my thread, I actually talk about it being path dependence, right? I mean, the reason fundamentally that we use the yellow on blue stretches back to decisions that were made in the 1970s with like a carousel film projector. Um, and it got to the point that I was told like, this is the way it has to be done. But there's really no good reason for it and no one interrogated that. And it's, this is a very silly thing, right? Uh, Ultimately, it's just kind of interesting to know where the yellow and blue comes from. But it's also thought provoking because what other things do we just take for granted? And we, we look very confident and we tell, to our, to tell our patients like, you have to take this medicine. But in many cases, arguably maybe most cases, the evidence for that is about as strong as yellow on blue. Speaking of evidence for things, there was another thread. Now, you've been all, the, all over the place in the last week or so, Adam. So... Um, I'm not going to talk about all the, all the tweets that you're a part of, but oh, this one from Dr. Pacheco was talking about, I, I don't know what you guys were, how you guys were talking about um, 
anaerobic coverage for aspiration pneumonia. I think you might have had like the original tweet and then he did No, no, it goes deeper than that. I was reacting to somebody else's tweet. You know how oh, we, well, we'll have to postmodern f- experiment just references to other things all the way down. That's <laughs> true, it's true. But he ended up doing a thread talking about anaerobic treatment for aspiration pneumonia and um, I'll make sure I'll link it below, but I thought it was great. I mean, I think the newest recommendations are for not to use empiric coverage for that. And I think there were some discussions from different people about how it might actually even be institutional, depending on how some people are routinely doing it or not. Yeah, it's been, I mean, to be, to be clear, it's actually been the recommendation to not do anaerobic coverage for aspiration pneumonia for decades. Um, the, the whole story that Enrique goes into is actually very interesting on where the data uh, came from. Um, and he, he doesn't go there. There's more data as well. I, I mean, the, the TLDR is that uh, very early on when we identified aspiration pneumonia as a thing, we did lots of convenience samples uh, for people who aspirated and we found anaerobic organisms. It's not like they were doing BALs or anything on people to, uh, to identify what the organisms are. And more recent studies have basically shown that there are not significant amounts of anaerobes. Oh, I agree. And I, also coming from the pediatric side, there was always a discussion, you know, you have kids, you have adults who are aspirating, like, well, it makes sense. They're aspirating bacteria in their mouth. But in the end, how much of it actually is useful to treat? I think we're probably doing a little more harm than good when we're treating that. Yeah, it's the same boring stuff that causes every other pneumonia, right? When you when you look at what causes aspiration pneumonia, it's the same. I mean, all, all pneumonia <laughs> comes, they're organisms that live in our mouth. Right, right. All right, so I'm going to share a couple of my other favorite tweets from the week. The first would be, actually, a couple of them were related to Dr. Dr. Kimberly Manning. So she had a recent piece in Journal of Hospice Medicine. Um, actually, it was a couple months ago, but it was mm-hmm. resurfaced uh, in the last week that I was finally, I'd actually missed it the first time. Um, but I'll share people about that. It's about advocacy. And as a follow-up, actually, Dr. Shamir Shah had like a really great thread talking about advocacy, people of color. Um, so I would encourage people to check both the article and the thread from Dr. Shaw as well. And then uh, Dr. Kimberly Manning also had a really beautiful thread about medical error. Um, it's just a great read, just like everything else that she presents. She's just wonderful and just constantly educating all of Twitter, med Twitter being the mentor and also sharing her own experiences. Yeah, to say that Dr. Kimberly Manning had a great thread is, is redundant. Those two things are <laughs> synonymous. Oh, so it's true. So true. I, you know, I think there are, there's a handful of people who I just routinely just mention all the time on, on the show. And Dr. Kimberly Manning is definitely one of them, as well as Dr. Tony Brew and <laughs> Dr. Yavi Cooper. I mean, I could just probably just have one section for all their stuff every single time. Uh, you, you mean basically our friends? <laughs> yes, our friends. <laughs> so speaking of Tony Brew, he also had obviously a master class in the thirst mechanism. I don't know. Did you learn anything good from that, Adam? Oh, yeah. It was so cool. I mean, the whole idea is like you, when you drink water, your thirst is quenched, even though your serum osmolality hasn't changed yet and why that is, and then evolutionarily why that might be. And it's so fascinating. I think Avi was the one who pointed out the evolutionary connection, right? Yes, yes. You're at you know, the I, watering hole. You don't want to have to <laughs> wait until your serum osm's uh, like correct before a lion eats you. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know if I, I would ever have thought of it that way, but that's it's just fantastic. I, I you know I just had Avi on last week, so I really encourage people to check that episode out. Um, and then onto some more fun things. Well, they were all fun. So 
funner things, Dr. Gawkum Flecken had another, I think it was a TikTok video. I can never tell these days. They're always it, like, it, was a, a it was a TikTok video as a, you're a, yeah, we're both millennials. So as a millennial, yes. a little out of touch with Zen, Gen Z, it was a TikTok video posted to Twitter. And it was on uh, Members Move Medicine, which I don't know if most people know, but that's like the motto for the AMA. Are, are you a member of the AMA? I are am you? not either. And at some point, I think what pisses me off is the fact that I get so much spam email and letters from them that almost to a degree, like, I just don't want to do it. You know, I know I have a lot of great friends and colleagues who are active members in the AMA, and I think they, they do do a lot of other good things for, for doctors. Just for me, I, I've, I've had a lot of personal issues with the AMA and maybe one of these days they might change my mind. But I think the first thing they could do is probably save some trees by not sending me mailers like literally every other week. So I don't know about you. If you continue to get lots of emails. Oh my God, and- they're so good at it. Like they're, they, they send mailers that look like different things. Sometimes they have like fake handwriting on it. And I turn it over and I think it's, oh, it was a 300 Wabash, North Wabash in Chicago. So I just see that and it's like recycling. So you hear that AMA? If you want to convince me to come back to become a member, maybe try not to kill as many trees as you have been. <laughs> they, um, they do not hear you. I really wish they would. You know, I, I think we need good advocacy in medicine. And for some reason, I just don't have any really trust in the AMA. But no, I'm I think on they'll probably change my mind. Team ACP, American College of Physicians. I'm totally with you. FACP. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Full disclosure, uh, my podcast, you can get CME for listening from the ACP. So maybe <laughs> I'm a biased source, but the ACP is actually awesome. And then so last of my favorite tweets of the week was from Dr. Andre Mansour. I've definitely referenced many of his tweets in the past. This one is another one with a great video on a physical exam diagnosis. It's a great respiratory pattern. and I'm not going to spoil it, but you could probably see I'm showing a little preview here. Make sure you go to the tweet and uh, take a guess. So I Adam, my attending back in the day at OHSU. Actually, he was never my attending. We just, hung out, <laughs> I guess, but he is even more awesome in real life. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was wondering about that. We have so many people like internal medicine. There's, there's so many different interactions. And um, so like we all know each other. And, you know, I just had Avi Cooper on who, you know, he, he you know, when he was at um, Beth Israel, mm-hmm. I think he said that. Tony was like his attending or a senior mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like everyone seems to be connected on a level and it, it, that's why I have so much fun in this space. Everyone's my friend. I can always find a guest to well, come on the I show. That's why I was so disappointed about the ACP national meet. I mean, we, it was the right, I actually, kudos to ACP for canceling. It was definitely the right thing to do, but like going to those national meetings is so much fun. Oh gosh. I was going to, I was going to go to SGIM this year too. Oh yeah. Um, I, I couldn't make it, but we did that session together anyway. So, yeah, so we do, we did record a session for SGIM. Um, and I don't know if that's going to be publicly available at some point, but if it is or will be, I'll make sure people know about it. Oh, yeah. It was on um, scholar, um, updates updated in digital scholarship. Digital scholarship. And I, I think, think it's going to be an annual talk. Yes, I think it's going to be an annual talk, but I was hoping that. Uh, Marty Fried and I spent a long time putting everyone's audio together, including you did several, ep- you, you did several segments with Shreya, your new partner yeah. in crime over there. And, um, what was your other, what were your topics that you guys discussed? Paul, I did it with Paul Williams. Uh, you did one with Paul. We, we actually, we talked about, um, innovations in particular, like cool things. And we talked actually about Kimberly Manning, who has really like taken the tweetorial, uh, you know, tweetorials have been, uh, 
didactic primarily, and she has kind of melded narrative medicine with didactic tutorials in such a powerful way. It, it was such a fun thing to put together. We had like you, Dr. Uh, you, Sherry Trevetti, and all the curbsider guys. We had uh, Doctor um, Doctor Uncle Bob. We had we had we had everyone. We had everyone. Reza, on, on, uh, yeah, Reza. Oh, that, that was good. We it was know, it was a really group. fun time. So it was sort of like uh, all star cast, and I think uh, hopefully SGIM really enjoyed what we put together, and hopefully one of these days we'll be able to share this publicly with with everyone. You know, now because I think that was part of their online uh, SGIM on-demand type thing they were doing for a while. Mm -hmm. So um, what do you have coming up? Do we have anything oh, to look forward to? What episodes uh, yeah. do you have coming out? So as you, as you referenced, uh, Shreya Trivedi is uh, my partner in crime. We now, uh, so this is all exciting, right? We've, you and I, and uh, basically everyone you've been naming are all kind of pioneers in this exciting new way of, uh, of teaching in the digital space. And I think this is not a controversial statement that you'll agree with, but there's a lot of advantages to teaching the way that we do in ways that you can model good communication, you can model thinking, um, you can model diagnosis, curiosity. And uh, in that vein, Shreya and I have launched the IMED initiative at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. So both a research and advocacy group. Um, and we have some exciting stuff coming up. Uh, we've got actually, a, we're gonna have an annual conference uh, later this year. It's gonna be online only. So everyone will be able to come because you no know, COVID-19. Yes. But uh, I'm really excited about it. Uh, and I'm sure that you will, everyone here will be hearing a lot more. Excellent. Any, any, uh, any upcoming episodes of Bedside Rounds? Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, as you may recall, I, I started a short um, looking into how hydroxychloroquine became like the uh, treatment for uh, COVID-19 circa February, March 2020. Mm -hmm. And that short has now turned into a four and a half hour uh, miniseries. So part three of that about or that involves the Spanish flu and talking about some of the historiographical controversies around the Spanish flu is coming out later this month. And then the final part, uh, talking about epistemology, like how we know what medications work and, and going all the way up to COVID-19 with Rahul Ganatra is coming out next month. Oh, I love Rahul. And he, when we brought him on the curbsiders, it was like the best possible thing we could have ever done. He's your chief. Wait, what, what's his title? The chief. Uh... Chief. Oh gosh, I don't even know. Chief, not, not chief statistician, but chief head critiquer of stuff. I, just, I bet it sounds better in real life of Cashlack Memorial Hospital. Oh, totally, totally. He, just too smart, which allowed me to move on to bigger and better things too. So uh, he's a good guy. I like yes. him. I'll look forward to the episode. Make sure you tweet out. I'm sure you will. Yeah, you you just called me out, and the funny thing is, like, my my wife is not going to listen to this, but she'd love uh, she'd love to hear it because I've actually been like working swing shifts this whole week, and she just accuses me of being on Twitter too much, and she's totally right. <laughs> All right, well, Adam, thank you for being my first repeat guest, friend of the pod. <laughs> yeah, uh, thank you for having me as your first repeat guest. It is always a pleasure. Thank you guys for following us again for another MedTwit this week. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, tw Twitter, Periscope, Facebook, and all the great things. Comment, like, subscribe, do all the great stuff that you have to do on the platforms. Have a good one. Bye.